I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It was an ordinary Wednesday morning in June, but something strange was unfolding in the Black Sea. This was a deliberate move by the Royal Navy warship HMS Defender. It said it was going through a recognized international shipping lane, but while it was carrying at this kind of... And there is... That is another Russian aircraft fighting the warship, yeah. What happened during those 36 minutes? The answer depends on who you ask. The British government says... HMS Defender was passing through Ukrainian waters, I think, on the way to Georgia... What was actually going on is the the Russians were doing a a gunnery exercise they often do uh, in that area. A video released by the Russian intelligence agency appears to show something more than just an exercise. Russian Coast Guard ship, this is British warship Delta 36. Your manoeuvring intentions are unclear. Request your course, speed and passing intentions. Over. The crew of HMS Defender radios an approaching Russian ship. As the Russian ship refuses to back down, you can hear the British captain say, Are you threatening me? Your actions are unprofessional and endanger both of our vessels. Are you threatening me? Over. The Russian captain responds, If you don't change your course to starboard, I'll be fired. I'll be fired. If you don't change your course, I'll fire. This area is danger for navigation. Please keep away from me. Over. And then... The Russian ship appears to fire warning shots. Thirteen minutes later, according to Moscow, a Russian jet drops four bombs in the ship's path. Four minutes after that, Defender leaves the area. It was a dispute not only over rights of passage, but over truth itself. These are the things that come and go uh, with Russia. Disinformation, misinformation is something that we have seen regularly. I'm a little bit surprised that the Ministry of Defence is, is playing it down. 
Apparently, uh, no, there weren't um, warning shots. Apparently, this was something quite different, which was there's a gunnery exercise that was going on. Prior warning Bombs was dropped given. in front of the boat. No, that didn't happen. I'm told that's not what happened. It's the latest front in a strange in-between battle, a grey zone, somewhere between war and peace. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the new Cold War... What really happened in the Black Sea? Back in March on the podcast, we spoke to the head of the British Armed Forces, General Sir Nick Carter. I asked him about the threats that keep him awake at night. What worries us is the potential for unwarranted escalation leading to miscalculation. We now have assertive authoritarian rivals who are seeking to achieve their objectives without resorting to a hot war. I judge Russia to be the acute threat. That's what would worry me, and indeed, to use your term, keep me bed at night awake. The confrontation in those 36 minutes took place off the coast of Crimea. The UK and NATO say Crimea and its territorial waters belong to the Ukraine. But Russia annexed the area seven years ago, so they see Crimea as Russian territory. I think we've seen great powers using fait accompli strategies to achieve their objectives. We've seen that particularly, of course, with Crimea and Ukraine, as far as Russia is concerned. And I think our worry would be that these sorts of activities lead to us being bold a bit like a frog. Today, I'm talking to someone who used to command destroyers like HMS Defender. Rear Admiral Chris Parry was watching the incident closely. I'm a former naval officer and Director General in the Ministry of Defence. Tell us what happened with HMS Defender. HMS Defender left Odessa on a scheduled uh, visit as part of the carrier strike group's uh, deployment to the eastern Mediterranean and the, and the Black Sea. Uh, and the first sea lord and a defence minister were there. Now, there's no doubt the Russians will have noticed that. <laughs> I'm sure it, it will have annoyed them. So when you say a, sh- a scheduled visit, is this something that these ships often do? Well, whenever a warship goes abroad, we always do um, visits to friendly countries and to our allies. Uh, And that's to provide uh, reassurance in this case, because the Black Sea, of course, is right in the front line of our engagement with Russia at the moment. Uh, Ukraine, of course, is under threat from Russia. HMS Defender is part of a bigger carrier strike group led by the new British aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth, the biggest ship the Navy has ever built. They're spending six months visiting 40 countries, the largest British deployment at sea in a generation. And as Defender departed, I'm sure that the Russians wanted to send a number of messages. And the reception committee that Defender found when she started crossing the Black Sea south of Crimea was part of that. As luck would have it, and more on this later, a BBC camera crew and a reporter from the Daily Mail happened to be on board. Well, HMS Defender has just left the port of Odessa. We're already being shadowed by a Russian warship. It is a slightly more increased threat, I'd say, just because we're operating outside of our normal areas. And you're being watched by the Russians? Uh, They can see us, we can see them. 
HMS Defender was undertaking innocent passage. Her helicopter was stowed in its hangar. Her guns were covered. So she was giving off total impression that it was innocent passage. The Russians decided uh, that they would conflate uh, an exercise that they were undertaking some distance away with Defender's Passage. What happened was that two Coast Guard vessels started to pursue HMS Defender. They started to say, look, you're not allowed in our territorial seas. You're actually got to move out of them now. At one stage, Defender was threatened with having a shot fired across the bows by one of these Coast Guard vessels' pop guns. And I do say pop guns. They were very low caliber. And Defender just ignored that uh, and continued on. We then saw a number of aircraft in the sky. Throughout the transit, HMS Defender detects at least 20 Russian military aircraft nearby. Some far too close for comfort. And again, we have to get things in perspective here. Uh, just off the south of Crimea, the Russians have a major naval port, which has a couple of uh, military airfields as well. So many of these aircraft were actually just airborne doing normal routine operations around those airfields. Now, I'm an aviator, and during the Cold War, whenever I saw a Russian warship, the first thing I wanted to do was get down low, go down the side really fast, lean over and say, on the radio, good morning, comrades, and go on my way. Comrades too. That's, that's yeah. going to go down very well with the Russians. Well, no, in, in the Cold War, they didn't mind being called Tavarishi, so it was okay. But this was standard. I mean, if you're in a jet uh, or you're in an aircraft going fast, it's good fun to fly down the side, wave to uh, <laughs> the people on the other side of the fence and just let them know you're there. And that's exactly what those Russian jets were doing. That They were saying, good morning. We know you're there. Aren't we clever? I've been there. I understand that. So and that's what happened. They screamed down the side, obviously made as much noise as possible, said good morning, and went on their way. Now, Defender at this stage decided that she'd come up in speed and move away from the two Coast Guard vessels, and the Coast Guard vessels couldn't keep up. And in the distance, as the two Coast Guard vessels dropped astern, they, at some distance, exercised their guns. Aircraft visual, green 150, tracking right, altitude low. Now, my suspicion as somebody who's commanded ships is they had loaded guns when they approached, just in case there was a bit of a dust up with uh, Defender. And it's very awkward trying to remove the shells from the gun. So the best thing to do is just fire them off. And that's, <laughs> I think, what happened um, a long you, way You think astern. they were just offloading? Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what I would expect them to do. Um, it's just very <laughs> tricky unloading weapons. I mean, is that normal? Yeah, you do it all the time. Uh, do you? We do it. Yes. When 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 there are other ships nearby where it might be seen as a threat. No, no, you find find an empty empty patch of uh, of sea and and you fire them off. Yeah. So what do you think the Russians were thinking when they were doing this? I mean, I understand that you know, you say it's sort of standard practice, but would you do it with with a a British naval ship in the vicinity? I think they were being quite mischievous. I think they were pretty narked that the uh, Defender had actually motored away from them and left them behind. And so they were just trying to attract attention and say, yeah, we're, we're not very happy about this. So if you can hear our guns, that's great. But Defender just went on way. I mean, the captain, as I understand it from the BBC video, decided later on to go to action stations just in case it did escalate. So we're uh, straight into the thick of it. We're uh, going to action stations now. Um just to get, bring us up to a higher state of readiness. 
but uh, it wasn't necessary. The boys and girls put on their anti-flash and you saw weapons being loaded. But Defender just went on her way and that was the end of it. But it wasn't anywhere near the end of it when it comes to the geopolitical consequences. Last week, Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, accused the UK and US military of staging a provocation. And the Kremlin has threatened to respond. Even if we sunk this ship, it would be difficult to imagine the world would be on the verge of a third world war. Because those who do it know that they can't emerge victorious from this war. He mocked the United States, pressing an imaginary button on his forehead to show how American officials activate their brains. To bolster the threat from the Kremlin, Russian warplanes practiced bombing ships in the Black Sea this weekend. So should we expect more confrontations in the future? We'll have more in just a moment. But first, a message from another front line. I'm Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments in the world. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
The images from the BBC were, I mean, they were really quite alarming. You saw sailors putting on this sort of what looked like fire retardant clothing. What would have been going through their minds? You know, somebody who's been on one of these ships, what are you thinking when you're suddenly going to action stations? You're wary, all your sensors uh, and weapon systems are high alert, just in case there's trouble. And you've already briefed and warned your ship's company that there may be trouble ahead. And you look at the rules of engagement that have been given to you by the politicians, you look at what is legal. And to tell you the truth, with the momentum of the situation, you don't really have time to either be afraid or indeed think about anything other than the job in hand. My own experience in these situations is you're so concentrating on getting everything right. You're you're trying to de-escalate at this point and you're looking at your options. In a way, arriving in that area for a ship like that, HMS Defender, sails in, are you sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't? I mean, if they had tried to avoid the waters that are contested, would that have been a concession to the Russians that have sort of accepted that they, they now run Crimea? In the United Kingdom, if you don't walk a footpath within a year and a day, the landowner has the right to close that down. And in many ways, it's the same at sea. If you don't actually go through waters to which you're perfectly entitled to transit, the adjacent state will generally try and keep those ships out of that zone. And certainly Russia is trying to do that. We're seeing right now that China's trying to do it all across the South China Sea. If we don't want those footpaths closed down at the sea, we have to keep demonstrating presence. It doesn't really matter whose territorial seas they are. It doesn't matter whether Ukrainian, Russian, or indeed Martian. A ship of any country is allowed to undertake innocent passage through those territorial seas under international law. I have to say that last October, Russia made a great show of saying that it had seen HMS Dragon, one of Defender's sister ships, off the premises in the Northern Black Sea. And I think what we have to understand is that the whole issue in Ukraine is part of this general sort of tussle between democracy and autocracy around the Eurasian continent. Russia claims it fired shots in the path of HMS Defender, accusing it of violating Russian waters. The Royal Navy says that's not true. We have a reporter on board. So much of our understanding of what happened that day hasn't necessarily come from statements from the MOD or from the Russians, but it's actually come from the footage from the BBC who were on the ship. How normal is that? I mean, it was interesting that there was a BBC crew, a BBC correspondent and a journalist from the Mail all on that ship. Do you think that was planned? I think it's coincidental, actually, rather than causal. I just think it's fortunate because otherwise the only story out there with video would have been the Russian one. And having seen some of the video on Russian TV, and I speak Russian, it is very distorted and, of course, very propagandised for the internal audience. There is a lesson there, though, is that if you are going to be in this sort of situation and the carrier strike group is going to be in this situation vis-a-vis the Chinese when they get to the Asia-Pacific region, then it will be good to have journalists on board. So in many ways, this is a good dress rehearsal for what's going to happen at a larger scale, I suspect, when the carrier and the strike group gets to the Asia-Pacific. Chris, I love that you're watching the Russian media describing what's happened. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But first, I mean, as you said, the, you know, we are about to have a situation where we've got carriers going into the South China Seas. These ships are going to be coming into difficult, contested situations more and more. When you're a commander of a ship like this, you've been in this position, 
Do you end up at times feeling like you are the front line of foreign policy? You know, whatever is being discussed around the table with world leaders, actually you in that boat could end up changing global politics. Well, it's quite interesting. I mean, I I could tell you I was in the Falklands War and one of the most amazing things was going out and doing what you have to during the day. And you come back and the BBC World Service used to be fronted up by a tune called Lilia Bolero. It's quite quite dramatic tune. And within about three or four hours of going out and doing stuff, you'd actually hear on the BBC what you'd just done or, or a version of it. The land operations were supported by Harrier attacks and naval gunfire from ships of the task force. There's an immediacy associated with that. We don't recognise the Russian annexation of of Crimea. Uh, This is part of a sovereign Ukrainian territory. It was entirely right that we should vindicate the law and uh, pursue freedom of navigation in the way that we take. What is the benefit in us poking the Russian bear at the moment? Um, Well, there's a, a convention in international law that a vessel can take the most direct route from one point to another. Would we do it again? Of course, yes. If things had gone slightly differently, those Coast Guard boats could have been obliterated by Defender, which obviously would have led to a much bigger escalation on the world stage. Well, yes, indeed. I mean, there comes a point as a commanding officer where you say, look, I am now acting in self-defence, but you are well provided with political advice. You have instant contact uh, with legal advice. Really? You have instant access to even legal advice when you're on the boat? Yes, we, yes, we do. I can get on the satellite phone very quickly and say, what's my legal position back to headquarters in the United Kingdom? But I mean, when it gets to a point of action and decision, the commanding officer has to take his own decisions uh, because things are happening too fast at that point. I have to say on occasions, I have pretended that we couldn't actually hear what was being said on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) There's a crackle on the line. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, The issue is that sometimes, most times actually, the person on the ground can see the situation actually can make better decisions than people 2,000 miles away. It's as simple as that. That's on a good day. On a bad day. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) on a bad day. Just talk me through, you know, you you talked about what could have happened with those Coast Guard boats, but talk me through step by step. You know, thankfully, this didn't escalate. If it had, how would that have unfolded? What would that have looked like? I think if the uh, Coast Guard boats had persisted, the first thing that the commanding officer would have done was to say, in view of your threats... I will be forced to defend myself. Now, I never believed in firing warning shots. If I said I was going to take action, then I would do it. You can't afford to mess around at this stage. But in these situations, there is actually an understanding at sea between people who work there and operate there. I I always managed to get on the radio when I was in command of ships when I had these situations and talk to my opposite number and said, look, what are you trying to achieve here? This is what I'm trying to achieve. Really? I think we can both go out. Yeah, you just get you on sort the of, You have a very honest conversation like that on the radio. Yeah. And if you have to warn somebody about something, you do. I've been in a situation before, I, I prefer not to mention the incident, where I've actually said to the chap, you, you have now convinced me that I may have to use force. How did that go down? He said, oh, I think you may have misunderstood my intentions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly the miscalculation, I suppose, that everyone's afraid of. How do you all step away while saving face without it turning into war? I used to send a bottle of whiskey on my sea boat across the other captain. <laughs> Seriously. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's it. 
Over 50 pages of classified documents from the UK's Defence Ministry have reportedly been found at a bus stop in southern England. This is a, this is a mistake, um, it appears. I don't want to prejudge the investigation, but it appears it's a mistake by, made by um, an individual. The papers are said to have been found by a member of the public in a soggy heap on Tuesday, a day before the warship incident. It's important that one gets on top of that mistake. I'm very sorry this incident has happened. The investigation will be thorough. You know, we have since found out, you know, there were some leaked papers, for example, from the MOD. We have had a sense that a lot of this was planned. How much of would they, you know, would, would both sides have thought about this in advance? Yeah, uh, I think one of the uh, really positive things about the papers being found in Kent is that it shows you the absolutely exhaustive planning that goes on in the Ministry of Defence with regard to these very delicate, potentially dangerous situations. What I don't like about the revelations is that it's told our opponents exactly how we think. So that gives them an advantage. They can game it now in a way in which we can't game Russian and Chinese reactions. You know, I'm looking forward to somebody leaving the equivalent Russian document behind a bus stop. That would be great. <laughs> um, but it's not going to happen, obviously, and, and still less with the Chinese. From what I hear, the decision had to go up to the prime minister to actually say that Defender would sail through the waters off Crimea, as she did, and that he wouldn't sort of tiptoe away and skulk away to the south. Now, we don't have the, the Russian equivalent, as you said, of, of those papers, but what do you think the Russians wanted to achieve if this was all planned in, in advance and they knew we were coming what did they want out of this episode? They wanted to uh, basically be seen to see us off the premises for their own population's sake. They say they drop bombs ahead of Defender. They, they you know, fired shots and this, that and the other. Uh, in fact, the whole thing on, on Russia TV looks like a video game of battleships. I mean, tell me about that. You're watching all the coverage. What does it look like and what are they saying? Well, it's very dramatic. They're saying, oh, his Defender in the Northern Black Sea it's not supposed to be here. It's Russian territorial seas. There's dramatic video of Russian aircraft flying down the side, taken from the cockpit. You've got video and audio from the Russian Coast Guard ships. And uh, yeah, it, it all looks very good from a Russian point of view. That's what they wanted. They also wanted to, I think, say, we really don't like the UK showing support for Ukraine. We didn't like that visit in Odessa. We also don't like you selling them warships and building up their navy. In the military, we always call it a theatre of operations. But that double sense applies here because the Russians were trying to create a theatre in the <laughs> other sense. It's <laughs> all know, very it's, theatrical. Yeah, yeah, very theatrical, very melodramatic. China has occupied and militarised an area equivalent to the Mediterranean in the South China Sea. Tension between China and the West is becoming acute. The UK's new $4.2 billion aircraft carrier will cross through the South China Sea and in doing so, send a clear signal to Beijing. Every strategic jackass from here to Timbuktu is saying there is a possibility of military conflict in the next few years. And Chris, you said that we're about to see much more of this. We are about to have carriers going into the South China Sea. 
What are you expecting from that? Well, it's interesting because there's a follow-up to what happened in the Black Sea, uh, and that is that the Russians sent three missile-carrying bombers down to Syria alongside two MiG-31s with some fairly high-priced anti-ship missiles attached. And they have been practicing anti-ship attacks. Now, when the carrier strike group goes out into the Asia-Pacific, we know that the Chinese are very sensitive about foreign warships, particularly the Americans, but also ourselves in the South China Sea. And what we have to bear in mind there is that the territorial seas, which most countries have out to 12 miles by international law, the Chinese claim almost out to 1,500 miles. It's totally illegal in international Mm. law, and they wish to resist the passage of any foreign warships. My own forecast for this is we are going to have a lot of attention, I think, from the Chinese armed forces by air and by sea. The maritime militia of the People's Liberation Army uh, will get out in strength. There'll be hundreds of so-called fishing boats swarming around the uh, carrier task group. They're not fishing boats. They're actually manned by paramilitaries, and they will try and obstruct the carrier. You'll see Chinese warships trying to ride off our warships. And the sort of incidents that we've had in the Black Sea are going to be replicated on a much larger scale. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, former Rear Admiral Dr Chris Parry. The producers today were James Shield, Leona Hamid and Chris Wade. The executive producer is Poppy Damon and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk and James Shield. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.